Welcome to episode five of False Neutral, the motorcycle podcast from the Hooniverse Podcast Network. Our guest today is Cager on Two Wheels, coming to us live from Lisbon, Portugal. Thank you for joining us. Hi, I am Cager on Two Wheels, and we are on some sort of podcast, which I have to confess I haven't heard before. That's huh? that's, that's quite all right. It, this is only our <laughs> fifth episode. Uh, thank you for agreeing to... Join us. Uh, I emailed you, and you had no idea who I was, and agreed to do this. So that officially makes you a very cool guy. <laughs> uh, to start out with, first of all, we need to do our old business segment. And uh, Eric, you have some old business. Yeah. So it's it's funny how the the very first episode we have every week we keep coming back to, which I guess that's a good thing because it's a good ongoing topic. Um, I had sent Pete a. A text earlier this week uh, with an idea for a um, another good beginning bike, which was a Honda uh, Hawk, the six hundred and fifty V twin, or Hawk GT. Thank you. And Pete's like, yeah, okay. And then like about an hour later, I thought, oh, Becky had one of those. That was a cool bike, and that was a hugely rare bike in the U.S., but still very cool. The Honda CB one. Which you're not going to find in the United States, and uh, uh, my goodness, At the uh, you're not going to find it in the United States. And if you do, I think it's going to be incredibly overpriced if it's not completely destroyed. But uh, uh, the other another bike that I think I need to include in our old business is the TU250X Suzuki, a uh, little Suzuki 250 single. That uh, was totally not on my radar, and if I'm not mistaken, I think that's uh, fuel injected. Does anybody know for sure? I, don't I have know to confess, myself. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we're... I know it's bikes, I know it's old bikes, but I only know bikes from like five years ago. Seven years ago, I did not even know Honda made bikes. So that's, that's my baseline there. Well, well, why don't you take this opportunity, and for those of you who have not uh, found your YouTube channel, give us a little bit of background on who you are and, and how you got into riding motorcycles. Okay, so uh, four or five years ago, and I should really know how long ago, but I think I don't, four or five years ago or something, um, I started thinking about going to work instead of on the car, which I had been riding, driving for th- 10 years. I was in my 30s. Um, and started going on the motorcycle because traffic is horrendous. Parking is ridiculously expensive. Fuel is ridiculously expensive. And so a bike would fix all that. And so I went to find a little one to five bike, something, anything, just to get me to my workplace for cheap. And I already had a GoPro, so I started filming the rides, and I found out that I had an, an idling mouth. Whenever I don't <laughs> know what to do, I start talking to myself about other things, saying things like, I'm going to get hit by lightning right now, Exam- things like that. So I started vlogging from that, just letting my mouth run loose. 
And so that's why it's cage around wheels. I've been driving cars. I've been a car person for many years. Now, were you, in a, were you interested in enthusiast cars? I mean, were you, were you really a, a, a hardcore car guy before you, uh, before you got into bikes? Uh, kinda. I like cars. I've driven a lot, but I mean a real big lot of proper car simulators. Uh, car simulators that make, for example, uh, Gran Turismo uh, look like an arcade game. Okay. Oh, wow. In fact, we usually call Gran Turismo the real arcade simulator. <laughs> um, I was playing, for example, iRacing for a long time. I've driven in iRacing with real-life drivers like Dale Earnhardt Jr. I've crashed into... Um, <sighs> I keep forgetting. The IndyCar guy that went into Formula One. Then Juan Montoya? In the car. I think Juan no, 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 no. It's not Juan Pablo Montoya. It's the other one. Uh, Jacques Villeneuve. Oh. I've crashed into Jacques Villeneuve on one race, had to apologize, and then race again <laughs> next. The other race two hours later. That was, that was a stupid mistake and really, really embarrassing. But yeah, I've been, I've been a car guy. And the whole point of the channel is, how does a car guy suddenly start riding bikes? What's, what happens? Will I survive? Well, so far, so good. Yeah. I, I have to say, I absolutely love your channel. Uh, you guys, uh, you and uh, Bad Obsessions Motorsports are the two that I, even though I'm subscribed, I will go out and check YouTube, just making sure that by some chance I haven't missed one. And uh, you you are so refreshing because you don't make any bones about, you know, being some kind of super expert, but that doesn't stop you from sharing your opinions and being opinionated about the things that your 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 feelings and stuff, and I just really enjoy hearing somebody that's not afraid to say, "Yeah, I, I, this is how I see it." And if you like it, great, and if you don't agree, uh, so what? Yeah, I like the enthusiasm of your voice and all of your videos. I uh, was turned on to your channel through Pete. And uh, just hearing your voice, I, you can't help but smile, especially when you're riding through traffic. There was one of the videos that you had where you had been pulled over by a police officer while going in excessive speed on your motorcycle. Uh. And I had some pretty good laughs uh, about your language on that one. That one was pretty <laughs> funny. The situation yeah, was... wasn't funny. I feel bad for you. But uh <laughs> Your your attitude was your attitude. I was, was funny. so angry, so angry, and then I made a, another video in Portuguese for because I was actually riding fast because I had to, had to reach a, a local Portuguese motovlogger meet, which was the first motovlogger meet I was going to, and they were all waiting for me for more than half an hour, so I was just speeding my way through traffic, and I thought, okay, let's really speed right now, and then after a bit, okay, traffic's increasing, let's slow down. I slow down, I exit the. The highway, I look in the mirror, oh, great, blue lights. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> and then the I had cop. to do the Portuguese video with them, and I was furious. I was fuming. Now, <laughs> I, mean, that, I really now, didn't I feel a, like doing it. I have a question about that. You have two separate YouTube channels, one in English and one in Portuguese. Do you re-narrate all of your videos for the in Portuguese, or how does that work? Or do you just do some in English and some in Portuguese, and they're they're different? Well... The reviews, I usually do both. I do one in Portuguese and then one in English. Um, I, already have, I already have some kind of a setup where, for example, on my test track, I go up on the English video and then I come back down on the Portuguese uh, video. So the reviews have to be done for both languages because it, it, it's important enough that I have to do on both. 
uh, things I really feel about that I really like, usually I do in both languages. I do one, and then I do the other one. Um, and then every now and then there's a specific Portuguese video or a specific English video. For example, I did a, sp a specific Portuguese video about allowing bikes on the bus lanes in Lisbon. They're going to start that. And so that's not really a topic that would really matter to anyone out of the country, but for Portuguese people it would. So whenever there's a kind of a topic there's, that's only local, that international viewers wouldn't really care about, I usually do that on the English one. If it's an interesting thing, I, I'll do it in, in both languages. I'll do one and then stop the video, start again and immediately, immediately do the, the other one. Well, you know, relating to the, the you say that the bus um, riding motorcycles in the bus lane uh, is kind of a, a Portuguese thing. But here it's always a point of contention, uh, lane splitting and motorcycles using the area in between cars, which isn't the same thing. But um, people always talk about whether or not motorcycles should be allowed to ride in between cars. Yes. And, and um, you and filter so, so much, all of your videos. It just, every time I watch your, your point of view videos on the bike, I'm like, oh my goodness, you are between traffic so often. And yeah. in my state, it's not even legal. It's, it's technically not explicitly illegal, but if you do it and a cop pulls you over, he's free to write you a ticket as, I don't know what it is, uh, I, negligent and imprudent <clears throat> driving or something. So I can't I, eat, I, I, I don't do it at all, and I see you, and sometimes it just makes me cringe. <laughs> in the uh, in the U.S., I think um, Cal California, is, I think California technically is the only one where lane splitting is legal. I know it's come up in other states. Um, yeah. I, yeah, you're right on that. California, I think, is the only one where it's explicitly legal. Yeah, I've ridden in California, and it's funny because uh, last time I rode there was about six, seven years ago, and I'm caught up in traffic, and I realized, oh, yeah, I can split lanes. That's cool. Oh, yes, I yeah. can go into the HOV lane. That's cool. And, and yeah, I, Kate, you're watching – I just watching a couple of your videos here in the last week or so, and it's like, yeah, that. And then there was another one I watched, which was uh, – oh, Baron Von Grumble the other day, and he's got a – S1000RR, and of course, if you like colorful language, you like his stuff. But he's <laughs> he's like a madman through traffic. And I'm there's a couple times I I I had a couple four letter words coming out like yeah. you know you went that. So, um, but I guess it's different over there because people bikes are more common. Yes, and 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 filtering through traffic is much more common. Yeah, traffic is worse probably. Uh, might be not be worse, but cars are expecting bikes to do that. Actually, I have not filtered once. When I got my wife, uh, I was working. My wife came to Lisbon for uh, the kids. Uh, one of the my older kids, an actor, so he had uh, something. I don't know. I don't remember what it was. But she was in Lisbon, so we came back together. She in the car, me on the bike. So, so I was following her. So I was in traffic because she was stuck in traffic. And so, so was I on traffic on the afternoon rush hour. And cars were passing me on, passing by me in the in in traffic. They were looking at me like, "Why? What is this guy doing here? Why aren't you filtering?" One of them actually rolled down the window and said, "Are you okay? Why aren't you filtering? What are you doing there?" <laughs> so is no, that what seriously. they call it in Portugal, filtering? When no, no, when you're... Uh, we that's, don't have a word. Kind of a, like, kind why of a don't term you just go between the cars? That... Oh, is that right? Yeah, we don't really have a term. It's just like, why don't you go between the it's cars? Called riding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's riding. I haven't. It's just I haven't heard. Filtering before. Oh, in the West Coast, I feel like everybody just calls it splitting. 
but same yeah, thing. Yeah, Americans call it splitting, but uh, English, um, British, uh, the British call it uh, filtering. And I, I, I think I know there's Australians a lot of people. Out, the, a lot of the California filtering. people are are trying to get it termed filtering because it sounds more legit than lane splitting. Filtering yeah. sounds like something that's more appropriate. Because that's so, what you're doing. You're like going through. It's like when you have big pebbles and then you drop sand on top of a, a bucket with big pebbles and you shake the bucket and the sand filters down. That's what yeah. we're doing, actually. Yeah, I was in. And, I was in Europe, uh, Italy, and Greece and Turkey in 2013, and most of the time I was on big tour buses that didn't fit in the lane. And there were times yeah. that the people around me on the scooters just. My butt was puckering. I'm like, oh, don't yeah. do that. Oh, oh. It is death-defying yeah. on a scooter <laughs> over there. <laughs> but I have to say that you're right. Other people expect them to do it. It would be a whole lot more dangerous for me to try that in Missouri because people are going to be like, dang, can't you stay in your lane, boy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've seen a few of insane videos from Americans going absolutely crazy about... Oh, he just filtered around at a red light. He just filtered past two cars. They just go nuts. What? As soon as the light goes green, the bike is gone, guys. Don't. <laughs> yeah, ah, car man. automotive drivers in America hate, and I mean hate filtering. Um, even if it doesn't affect them at all, they just just detest it. I, I don't know if they feel like somebody's just getting around them or or what, but they just really don't like it here. It seems like. I called it on the video. It's like complaining about the express lane when you're on the supermarket or complaining about the planes flying overhead and going past traffic. We are not in traffic. We are not part of traffic. We are something apart. We just go past everything. Now, there's an issue. We go past everything if the cars are expecting. Because yeah. remember when you're driving a car, how scary it is. Sometimes you're just relaxing and the bike just goes vroom, past your window really loud. Yeah, really close because you weren't paying the, attention, right? That that is the uh, that is the area where loud loud pipes truly may save lives because at least yeah. they can hear you coming. Yeah, yeah. At least uh, the guy goes, mm, "What's can, that?" Can you, yeah, but the faster you imagine, the uh, faster you're going, the farther the sound is behind you. So I'm not sure yeah. about that. The whole, yeah, I don't know. Some of the cans around here are made. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm just I'm just I'm just thinking like, well, with electric bikes becoming you know a little bit more legitimate or mainstream uh that could be could prove to be even more interesting you know like oh where did he come from <laughs> yeah i mean i do feel like part of motorcycling safety is the sound and not excessive sound but electric motorcycles are so stealthy that you don't hear them they're hard to see but i guess that'll be another issue that we can come yeah. to later on so, yeah, Kedra, but... I, I have to say that uh, your your command of English isn't isn't too bad. And and what reminds me of this is, or what I'm what I'm thinking about is, I was watching the uh, your Africa Twin video uh, last night, and there's part of it where you're doing it in, in Portuguese, and and I know some some Italian, uh, some French, um, and and a decent amount of Spanish at times. And listening to Portuguese, I'm like, I don't understand a word you're saying, and I can usually figure at least figure a few words out. But it wow, that is a, that I know it just to my ears sounded so different, even though technically it is a romance language. Yeah, it should be because if you speak Portuguese, for example, I can understand sort of Spanish, Italian, and sort of French because they all have the same Latin language uh, yeah. below underneath. 
Although I got to say, the, the French that I understand is more Quebec French, which is people in France don't think that that's French, but, you know, it's a whole other subject. French? <laughs> Sorry, in, in what's that? What? There's more than one French? That's news to me. Well, it, apparently the, the the French that people in uh, Quebec, Canada speak is some well, it's, it's guttural kind of, version of it. It's kind of like English. I mean, you. Yeah. I was over in England, and in the north of England, I could not understand some of what the guys were saying. I was in Birmingham, yeah. and, a, and a guy came down from, from northern England to a trade show I was at, and he looked at me and goes, where are you best? I was like, excuse me? Where are you best? And, and is it sort of like the the first time you hear Guy Martin talking? You kind of go, "I'm sorry, I need some subtitles." Yeah, yeah, I cannot understand <laughs> what was, Guy Martin saying, is saying. Where are you based? And I thought I was like, "Where am I best? I'm, I'm wearing the best clothes I brought with me." Yeah, I get. It was so confusing. And so one of the British guys came over and goes, "He's American. He doesn't speak the language well." Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I, I remember. One of, I remember I, I once once met an old guy from Scotland, an old Scottish man, like 70 years old, and we were all on a table having dinner, and the guy started saying something. I don't know if it was a speech, because I, I honestly did not understand a single word. He was like... <laughs> I was looking around the table, and the other British people were looking at me laughing, and... The girl next to me said, yeah, we don't really get him most of the time, and you probably don't know anything <laughs> what he's saying. <laughs> um, so you, uh, you've grown your channel to be a fairly decent-sized channel. I think you're almost at, what, 40,000 subscribers, for, for at least for your English-language channel. Um, have you done anything in particular to, to, to grow your audience, or has that been pretty, pretty organic for you? No, it's been organic. It's not only been organic as it's been slow and steady. About The average has been a pretty steady 1,000 subscribers per month for the last 40 months. That's why I'm 40K. It's, uh, it jumped, when it reached 1,000, then it started. Generally, I, didn't, I did not increase the rate of subscribers, nor mm -hmm. did, I, did, it, did I decrease. So it hasn't exploded. It has been like slow and steady, slowly climbing. Well, I have to tell you, my friend Rusty, I emailed him and said, hey, next week we're going to have Kadron Two Wheels on. And I wasn't even sure he knew who he was. He, he texted me back, and I'm reading his text. You got Kadron, exclamation point, exclamation point. Sweet. He cracks me up. I love him. So, And uh, I, I didn't even know that he followed your, you know, subscribed to your, to your feed. So you're, you're definitely making a name for yourself. Part of what I like is is you cover a whole lot of bikes that we don't get here. And yeah, that is true. It's very cool, but it also makes me very jealous. I think the <laughs> I, I discovered uh, the first thing I saw of yours, I think, was your, I think it was the S-Max 125. And I was like, oh, this guy's kind of cool. And then I started clicking through all your past videos. I was like, oh, I, I got to subscribe. This is great. And, well, and, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know really how to respond to people who say, "Yeah, you're you're really funny." I'm I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just oh, I I don't doing I don't it. I don't think you're you're. I think you're fun, not funny. There's a big difference between those two. It's fun to watch you because you're so enthusiastic about whatever you're on. I mean, it, it could be that piece of crap Chinese bike that you were on that just I laughed because you're just so genuine about how you feel about it, and yet you're. You can get on something like that and still just 
share your enthusiasm for just going down the street. Yeah, it's yeah, just like when that you was, spilled that. That was actually that, fun, boy. That Africa that was actually twin. Funny. Oh, sorry. Uh, that was actually funny, that, that bad, bad bike. Because I, I was, honestly, it was a subscriber's bike. I did not want, honestly, to tell him that his bike was crap. I was trying to honestly say something good about the bike. And I got to the point where I said, okay, it's actually a good bike, except for the brakes, the tires, <laughs> suspension, the engine, it vibrates, the electrics, the build quality. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Now, do you just go into dealers and, and have arrangements that you can test ride their bikes? Well, uh, the first one I did for Yamaha, for the XJ6 or the FZ6R, as you call it, I actually lied. I went there and said, I'm trying to buy this bike. Can I test it? <laughs> and so the guy ordered one from Yamaha, and he paid like 100 bucks for the bike there for two days because um, they have to rent the bike from the, the importer. Oh, wow. I, um, I test drove it. I came back and said, listen, I love the bike. I did a video on it. I'm going to give you the link afterwards. Uh, he actually uh, waited until several people wanted the bike to test. And so he did like, uh, okay, I have this bike here to test. Come on, people, come on and check out the bike. So it wasn't that bad for him. Um, but I did the video and showed him. And then he, the next day he emails me and says, listen, I really, really liked your video. That, that was awesome. Do many people see that? And then on the next day, I got another email from the same dealership guy saying, listen, uh, I just sold an XJ6 due to you, and I've had at least four or five people coming in here to try the bike because of you. <laughs> and from, day that, from that day on, that Yamaha guy is like, he gets a bike and says, you have to come here and test this one. And then he gets another one. Look, I'm going to order another one for you to test. That's MT-09. He ordered that on, one on purpose for me to test. So that went so well. Uh, that went well. For the KTMs, I actually sent an email to two KTMs because they have an orange day in which the importer gets four bikes and goes, those four bikes jump from dealer to dealer so riders can test them. And so um, I sent the email to two of them because I knew the orange day was going to be on one day on dealership A and on day two on dealership B. So I sent an email to both. Showed them the the videos, told them what I was doing, and one of them responded. And so, from then on, same same thing happened. I did a video. Some people went there because they saw the video and they wanted to see the bike from the video, wanted to test. And so that kind of snowballs. As soon as I make a video and it and people go there and say, "Listen, I saw a video online about this this bike on this dealership, and I wanted to see it." And then they call me back and say, "Okay, listen, I have another one for you to test, etc., etc., etc." So it kind of works well. I have to ask, uh, I think it was the MT-03 video where you somebody yelled Cager from the side of the road. Are you well-known in Lisbon as the guy that reviews bikes? Uh, yeah. It's it's a bit odd. I, I don't really want to say, yeah, I'm really famous. It, it's not like that. But every now and then, I, can't, I go into the dealership and I usually get recognized as soon as I open my mouth yeah. from the voice <laughs> or from the helmet. Or then people come look at the helmet, go around, which one of you is Cager? Hello. <laughs> that happens a bit. But for context, is that it's not a big town. Lisbon has, what, 30,000 people? 50? That's it? Come wow. to, I don't know. Google, Google come to my aid. <laughs> uh, population <laughs> of Lisbon. Tap, tap, tap. No, half a million. It's a I town say, of I half thought there was... Okay. That's still that's smaller than I expected. expected. Yeah. Uh, Portu Portugal as a whole, has 10 million people. So in a 
half a million population of the Lisbon area, uh, that means there's few bikers. There, we're not that many. We're not millions of bikers. We're all a couple of tens of thousands. And so on those couple of tens of thousands, say 10% know me. And that means that every 10 people or every 10 bikes I cross, one of them recognizes me. That's that's why I keep getting recognized because it, there's a a big percentage of market penetration. Yeah, this this makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that happens every now and then. And whenever that happens, I try to keep it on the video. I don't remove it because it's it's fun. Speaking of the MT-03, I am so jealous that we are not getting that bike in the United States because I that is one bike that I would truly talk my wife into going out and buying tomorrow. That I, I liked it from the pictures, and then when I watched your video, I'm like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, but those bikes are not for our, our markets. On the U.S., there's for some reason some idea that you have to start on a 600cc bike which I don't agree with in any way whatsoever. Uh, here, we have an issue with the licenses, where licensing in Europe is a bit different. You have, when you're 18, you can start riding bikes all the way up to 48 horsepower. And then you have to be riding for four or five years. I'm not really sure which is which. I think it's five years. And then you can buy an unlimited bike. A 600, a 1000, whatever you want. But for the first four or five years, you can only ride a 48-horsepower bike. When you're 16, you can ride one to fives up to 15 horsepower. So what happens is that a kid at 16 gets his first one to five. He rides it for two years. When he's 18, he buys uh, what we call the A2 license because it's the name of the license. It's A1, which is the one to five, A2, which is this 48-horsepower one, and then A. So they buy the A2-class bikes, which are always 48-horsepower 400 cc's, 500 cc's, 300 cc's. In the meantime, in the middle, we have these like the MTO3, which are 300 cc's, but something like 30, 35 horsepower. And no one buys that because they jump from the 1 to 5 to the 48 horsepower bikes, and those are kept in limbo. So no one buys that. Mm -hmm. And for your market, you don't want it. It's more the, the Asian markets. Does the KTM 390 fall into that same area? Sorry, I had to open the door for the cats. Yeah, a bit. Uh, it's that issue. Any? No, hang on. A bit, sort of. The KTM does not have the 48 horsepower, but it is at the top of the class for the A2 because it, it doesn't have the 48 horsepower, but it has does have the maximum power-to-weight ratio because it's really, really light. So it's one of the options for the A2 class licenses. What hits this on the spot is the Ninja 300. You don't see Ninja 300s here, ever. You don't see the CBR 300s. It's very rare to see the Yamaha R3. Those kinds of 30, 20, 30 horsepower bikes are really, really, really rare here. What about what about with scooters? Do, do like the 250 and 300cc scooters sell, or is it pretty much the same thing where you go from a 125 and then if you're going to stick with a scooter, you get one of the big maxi scooters that has more power? No, on scooters you actually sell them pretty well. You sell the 125s a lot because you don't need a, a license to, to drive a 125. You can get a car license and anyone can ride a 125 with a car license. So wow. that's a huge market. And then eventually people get bored and they get the license. And then they buy a slightly bigger scooter. Because 
Well, people that like scooters and use scooters, they don't really want a lot of performance. So it's that mindset that, okay, one to five is not fast enough, but a 300 is, and that's enough, so I'm not going to buy a bigger one. So it, yeah. it actually sells pretty well. That makes sense. I tell you, the, the, the scooter that I fell in love with when I was over in Europe, that I would... L- I only saw a couple of them, and they I thought they were really striking, is the Versity, the XC300. I don't know if you've got them in your market or not, but they're really a different-looking scooter, and I wanted to bring one home with me so bad. <laughs> <laughs> is it a it's Step the, 3 scooter? I didn't get it. Uh, uh, yeah, V-E-R-S-I-T-Y, Versity. It, they, it, 2004, 2006, I'm not sure exactly when they made them. But it was a really unusual 300 scooter that kind of had a very square, it had dual headlights and kind of a very, I don't know what you'd say, a linear square design to it. I really enjoyed it. So um, that was the one that. I never saw that one. Yamaha to... Versity 300s. What, um, what are the popular bikes that, uh, that people are buying, say, on an a, a, just on an A license over there? Uh, Unlimited? Yeah. Oddly enough, uh, and for a long, long time, the NC700s and the 750. Yeah, (laughs) I'll explain. I'll explain. What's wrong with those? (laughs) Well, that's a normal reaction, actually. You haven't tried one yet, so I know that's why you're doing that. Um, The NC700, when it appeared, just killed, completely crushed the market. The top sellers were... The Honda PCX, then the Honda PCX, and then the Honda PCX for the 2012, 2013, and 2014 models. It was really half the bikes in Portugal sold were Honda PCXs. Of the other half, like 70% were on the NC700s, and then came the other 125s. It was just absolutely ridiculous. And there's two good reasons for this. The fuel prices here are ridiculously expensive. Uh... You guys should know one gallon is how many liters? Three point eight seven five. Yeah. Three point eight seven five. Yes. Yep. So let's call it four ish, and so uh, one gallon uh, times four. So basically, one gallon of fuel here costs six euros, which is like eight dollars. Yeah. For one gallon, it's like it's about four, four times, times more than. Yeah, yeah, four times and so more. fuel consumption is pretty important. And when, and when Honda releases a bike that's six thousand dollars or six and a half, and uses three point seven liters to hundred kilometers, everyone yeah. that had a one to five upgraded their license and got an NC seven hundred. Does it have the same fuel consumption or close yeah. to that, and four times the power? So that sold like hotcakes here. It was insane. Nowadays. Um, there's the big adventure bikes. Those are really popular, like the, the <clears throat> big expensive BM, Beamers 1200 GSs, the some KTM's. But I think that the majority is like the big adventure bikes. So the the conversion for the U.S. Uh, for our U.S. listeners, 3.7 liters per 100k. I knew that was pretty. It was up there. I didn't. I, um, it was about what I thought it was. But it's uh, 63 and a half miles to the gallon U.S. Uh, 76.3 in, uh, in UK gallons so per, per mile per gallon UK. So, yeah, that's up there. Yeah. What about okay, uh, that, cruiser that, motorcycles? That's double Dude. my Can-Am Spider. <laughs> yeah. 
a lot of uh, bikes here in the U.S. really don't get that great of mileage. But then again, we ride large displacement, larger motorcycles. Sometimes they only get 30, 35 miles to the gallon uh, or about 45 kilometers. But um, do people ride any uh, big, comfy cruiser motorcycles in Portugal? Are those Do they have any popularity at all? Uh, Harley Davidson's, the big Harleys and Goldwings, there are pretty rare because they're really really expensive yeah uh remember the minimum wage is like six hundred dollars per month mm-hmm. and if you're out of high school out of college and you already have some experience you might make just about as much as a mcdonald's worker in yeah. in the u.s it's actually funny saying mcdonald's workers they're saying oh we get like nine bucks an hour we want more now look at that and say Hey, hang on. That's almost what I make. Yeah. <laughs> so th- if you're you, talking you... about the $20,000 bike, it's really, really hard to get one. So they're rare. Big yeah. cruisers, it's more like adventure bikes with big windscreens. That's yeah. relatively fairly common. So have you have you ever been to the States and have you, have, have you ridden here? Not ridden, but I have been there. I went to the Gen Con 2004 in Indianapolis. That was the last time I went to the U.S. I was actually baptized in New York. Mm. I was really young. The only image I have of New York is like really, really, really tall buildings that yep. blot out the sky. But I was like three years old. That's, I only have a picture in my mind of that. And that's it. And my father used to work uh, as a flight attendant. So I've traveled the world with him when I was younger. So I've been to Toronto. I remember Niagara Falls vaguely. I've been to Disneyland, yeah, vaguely, but that was like I was eight, nine, six, seven, so I don't really remember. Two thousand and four, that was the first time I went there as an as an adult, and I had actually had a pretty good time. Well, if you got any outside uh, of the general Indianapolis area, outside of what was that four four sixty five, I think is the circle around Indianapolis. That pretty much is what eighty five percent of America looks like. Yeah, I actually found it funny because there's like. You, you guys probably are used to this, but if you're, if you're on a plane, and this is for others that aren't from the U.S., it's really funny seeing American cities, and this is generally because on the plane I could see them. It's like you see a lot of uh, one-story buildings on a huge sprawling area around, and then right in the center there's a few skyscrapers just popping up from the ground, all yeah. concentrated. Downtown's like huge skyscrapers, 30, 40, 20 floors, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. A block of say twenty by twenty of those, and then suddenly no no skyscrapers, only short buildings, short buildings as far as I can see. It's like all focused on downtown. So that's why you yeah. call that downtown. There's like you have a really strong separation between what is downtown and what isn't. You come to Lisbon and it's downtown, the whole town. <laughs> yeah. It's all about the same level, so the whole town's like similar. Yes, but Lisbon is uh, what two thousand years old. Mm, no, about a thousand. Oh, really? Only a thousand. Port- okay. Portugal is like nine hundred years old, eight hundred and fifty okay. something. And Lisbon, of course, there was a settlement here before, but since the formation of Portugal, it's like a thousand years old or something. But yeah, people that, have been living here for like two thousand years. I was gonna, that, sorry because that reminded me of something else I wanted to ask you. Is in, and I, I don't know if it's in your normal normal ride, but. There looks like in in your 
kind of normal route that you use for your for your uh, vlog, you go under like this what looks to be like an ancient Roman aqueduct. Is that what that is? Yes, it is. And that was the sole supplier of water to Lisbon for many years. Not sure when it was done. It's not. It is not Roman, but it okay. looks like it. But actually, he's right. Lisbon has been here for way over two thousand years because I remember. There's one spot in Lisbon, and I'm still searching for that, I wanted to do a video on that, where you have uh, a piece of ground, uh, some pavement, and you see it's uh, cobblestones, really polished, and then there's a small plaque next to it saying, this is part of the original Roman street here, and it is 2,000 and more years old. It's like saying, this ground you're stepping on, this, this piece of sidewalk, has been here and has been used for more than 2,000 years. And I really wanted to do a video on that. Look, I'm standing where Romans stood. It's not repl- – no, this is the actual ground they built, and it's still here. So I wanted to do a video on that, and I haven't managed to do it yet. But, yeah, it's yeah. more than 2,000 years old. That's pretty incredible. We don't have anything like that here. I mean, our history, obviously, is just a few hundred years old. Uh, I would love to go to travel to and motorcycle around uh, areas that have been there for thousands of years, but I haven't yet. It's you ought to list. come here. Yeah. You well, really ought to come here. I have I have friends who've been to uh, to Portugal, mostly to the southern part for either to Portimao or um, can't remember where the other track was is or was uh, where oh, MotoGP fighter. used. Yeah, yeah. Where, oh, the other one is Estoril. It's right next to me, okay. right past it in a lot of videos. But um, they the people who've been there have described it as you know how twenty five years ago people used to say oh Spain's this great place you got to go visit. Says that's kind of how Portugal is, and don't say much because we don't want to spoil it, and yeah. we want to leave it this way. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want Portugal to become too popular and ruin ruin how cool it is. Ah, <laughs> uh, don't worry. Uh, one good thing here is that we we actually treat foreigners well. We like to show them, look, look at how cool this place is. Look at this. So, Americans usually are really I don't know why, but you guys are really really loud. American tourists are really loud. <laughs> Speak loudly, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a cultural thing. It's it's okay. Uh, you speak loudly, but you're really outgoing and really friendly. So it, it, it's cool. One cool thing about this is that since now I'm on the mindset of showing things. Uh, one uh, f- last year, I think I went to Spain or two years ago. I went to Spain, so I was riding the car all across Alentejo. So I was from Lisbon going straight east. There's a, a road that just goes straight east, and I left the city. Then when I got to Alentejo, which is basically a huge plain which if, with a few hills every now and then. And obviously, since this, is a, this has been a, a pretty hotly contested area for hundreds of years. So there's castles everywhere. So I was riding along, along in the car saying, oh, look, there's a cool castle. Oh, look, there's another cool castle over there. Oh, over there, there's another. So if you actually drive on that one, especially if you're not used to castles, you'll be seeing castles of all shapes and forms. Old castles, newer castles, castles built in the 1800s for artillery pieces, Old medieval small round castles for uh, sword and boards defense, others for bows and arrows. It's it's really nice. And if you explore Portugal from the inside instead of just the touristy areas, you can actually see a lot of really really cool stuff because it's there's castles and little palaces everywhere, literally everywhere. Remember, this has been in battle for more or less 800 years. Yeah, Crusades, Spanish I... Spanish came here, the French came <clears throat> here. So there's fortifications everywhere. When I when I travel, I even just well, I've only ever been out of the physical U.S. Well, 
I don't count Canada as being out of the U.S. because it's just kind of like America light. Um, it's but, the attic. Um, <laughs> don't let them hear you. <laughs> right. I, I have many friends in Canada. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, even around here, I always try to go off the beaten path and just not go to the tourist places and, and find kind of the cooler areas. So that would be my thing. And um, I know there's like a whole wine area now in Portugal that's supposedly becoming very popular. And I've had some of the stuff and it's it's really good. So food and wine tour. Give me a scooter of food and wine. And just let me go between the places. I'm, I'd yeah. be happy. Just get lost. Literally. Exactly. Get, get on a scooter, choose, pick a direction, and just go. Are there I any actually, places you shouldn't go in Portugal? Uh, actually, there are, but they're really small neighborhoods, okay. really confined neighborhoods. So it's every, every city has these. Every country has these. Okay, the, yeah. the neighborhoods you don't really go into, or the neighborhoods where cops only go in pairs or in trios. The thing is, uh, you can't really. It's really hard to buy a gun in Portugal. Of course, criminals get them, but since it's hard to get one legally, it's also a lot harder to get one illegally because there's a lot less circulating. So gun-related crime is really low. Usually it's beatings and knives and stuff like that. So it's a bit safer. And even on those neighborhoods, and I go past one of them on my test days, usually every day, there's not – I'm not going to stop the bike there and go for coffee. Okay, uh, but if I do, I know that at worst I'll get robbed. Maybe they'll steal the bike, but I won't get shot or stabbed. Yeah. Okay. It's dangerous, but it's not. Do not even ride over there, or they'll shoot you. No, it's it's relatively cool. Okay, but just don't. There are worse pe- places. You've got to be smart about it. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be smart about it. But it's relatively small places. It's not a huge big deal. Yeah. So you go over it. Oh, that was not not a good place to be. <laughs> Lisbon is really the only major city, is that correct? And it's a lot of, I don't want to call it small towns and villages, but it's kind of really just a lot of small towns and villages scattered around. Is that the lay uh, of the land? Not quite, but from an American perspective, yeah. Two big towns, Lisbon and Oporto. We call it simply Porto. Yeah. Uh, don't know why they call it Oporto, but whatever. Um, they were half Irish? <laughs> no idea. Uh, Porto <laughs> also <laughs> means port. Maybe someone told him, no, this is the port, which in Portuguese is o Porto. And so he called them o Porto. Whatever. Doesn't care. Uh, doesn't matter. Um, we have those two big towns. One is half a million people. The other one's quarter of a million people. And then the next big one is like Coimbra, which is like 100,000 people. And there are several towns with between 50,000 to 100,000 people scattered okay. all over the place. Yeah. Much more it's spread good. out. Yeah, it's not big towns. You go from you go across town, those smaller cities, you go across them in 15, 20 minutes most. Yeah. Maybe less. Probably a lot less. Is there any place that you really would like to get to ride? I mean, I look at where you are and I think, wow, that's a spectacular place to, to ride. Is there any place that you think in the world that, that you think, wow, I really want to get to this place and see what's there and... and Go riding there. Oh, yeah. Do you know a YouTube channel from a guy called Shaf YouTube? No, he, I don't. He no. started as an Instagram account, and he has an old Honda CB500, and he rides in Austria and Switzerland. And, well, let me put it this way. How often do you change the tires on your bike? <laughs> he usually changes twice as, twice as often his foot pegs. 
Not the tires, wow. his foot pegs. Okay? <laughs> his tires are full of... <laughs> okay? So that's an old CB500 which has foot pegs scraped all the way to the rubber. Seriously. Yeah. The guy, he's got a lot of skills. He's got that bike for a huge amount of time. And he rides in Austria and Switzerland. And the scenery there is just... It's mind-bogglingly. It's just awesome. I have one day, somehow, I'll have to tell the wife... Okay, you get you will have to keep the kids for one week alone, and I'm just going to ride to Switzerland and go meet this guy and go on to the roads he does because it's just, that's where my it's that's amazing where my wife's family is from Switzerland, but unfortunately we've never been. But someday we'll go there when you when you get a chance. You need to go. Uh, I sent you a link to it. My Transcendental Highway video starts out uh, in eastern Kansas, and it, it I think I did. Uh, four or six times normal speed because it uh you literally say okay start out on this road go straight for 70 miles and then you take a right <laughs> and the first 70 miles is a straight road through farmland and i had to, a friend of mine who has never been to the midwest and he's american but he has never been to the midwest he was like oh that's mind-blowing that there's just no traffic, no intersections. You just go on a straight line. I'm like, well, and and he's the guy that gives me a lot of crap about having a Can-Am Spider. I'm like, now you understand why it's not a big deal to have a three-wheeler here because you're not going to be turning anyways. <laughs> yeah. And you're not going to be That's... filtering anyways. I mean, it's... <laughs> That's why you have some vloggers and some people saying, no, no, a 600 is a starter bike. You really want a liter bike. When you have roads like that, you yeah. don't really, it's just straight. So turning performance is not an issue anymore. Me, we, we have at most in the whole country might have one straight for 20 miles. And that is, again, a Lintage and that big plane, and that's the highway, which has a 20-mile long straight. And that's it. The rest of it, I often, twisty, twisty, twisty. I often joke, and you have to know a bit of the reference, but I often joke, I, I live in Michigan, and until there's some decent roads in Michigan, uh, but not many, uh, and I often joke, at least around in my area in southeast Michigan, that um, there are more curves and turns on the road that leads up to Laguna Seca than there are in the entire state of Michigan. And, and you know, it's not quite true, but you kind of get the point. Um, but you have, have, you've had to gone up the main road into Laguna Seca to, to kind of get it. But um, it's just the road up into Laguna Seca is great, right? So it's, yeah, yeah, I just yeah. will say about the Northwest that we are fortunate. We have a lot of yeah. elevation gain. We have a lot of turns, a lot of scenic roads. I mean, it's beautiful out here. No traffic and great motorcycle roads. Where are you again? Uh, northwest, so Washington State. Okay, because I, I was stationed at, at uh, Fort Lewis, what's now Lewis McCord. Yep, uh, yep, the Joint Base. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm about an hour and a half south of there. Okay, okay. Yeah, we but used real to, we close. Used to, we used to ride out to Ocean Shores and go into oh, yeah. Mount Rainier, and just great riding all the way out. It is right. It is beautiful out here to ride a motorcycle on, as long as you're in that narrow window between June and September. Otherwise, it's raining, but. You know, I, I was there for uh, about two years, and yeah. my XL600, well, first the MB5, then the XL600R were my transportation. So I got a really yeah. nice rain suit and learned yeah. to ride in the rain, because otherwise you just don't ever get to go riding. 
if you've got good gear, it's actually surprisingly pleasant to ride in the rain. Um, I haven't done it that often, but I know the few times that I've been trapped in rain when I had good gear on, it wasn't bad at all. The just water screens right off of your helmet. It's not bad, but yeah, I also like to ride in the rain. But there's just one detail. I really, I really, really like that one from you, saying, "Oh, I'm really close. Only a li- an hour and a half." Yeah, <laughs> I'm like. What? <laughs> well, the scales in the United States are pretty great. You know, we've got 3,000 miles from coast to coast. And then, you know, everything's just so spread out. You know, between cities, you could go miles and miles. Whereas in Europe, oftentimes you just go from one population immediately into another. And there's just no real uh, open room in between. Here we just have expanses of land. So Yeah, from I mean, an hour and a half away, it's like... Oh man, I have to schedule some time. I'll probably do it over two days because that's really far away. Yeah, and so yeah, basically, so that's my morning commute in, for you. <laughs> in that hour and a half, though, also, so between Vancouver and the place that he was just talking about, an hour and a half north, there's basically nothing in between. There might be a few cities of maybe a couple hundred people, but that's it. Otherwise, it's just open land, and so that's that's how it is over here, though. Well, I was living, uh, I lived about three and a half years in Idaho Falls, Idaho, which is out in the Rocky Mountains. And uh, there were friends of mine who would say to me, hey, we're going to go shopping in Salt Lake City on Saturday. You want to ride down with us? It's three and a half hours. Well, no, if you're speeding, about three hours. About three hours down, about three hours back. And you made the day of it. You got up early. You got on the road by 8 o'clock. You drove for uh, you know, I think it was like 215, 225 miles, something like that. You shopped yeah. at the mall, you turn around and you came home. And nobody thought anything odd about that. At least the speed limit's 80 miles an hour through there now. Well, and that is if there's any cops to patrol it. <laughs> oh, and you could do 100 easy and really you'd just be keeping up with traffic through there. Most people, if the speed limit's 80, they're doing 90. If you're doing 95, you're only barely passing people. So, wow, wow, three three hundred <laughs> well, kilometers. It's a trip back to the old place where my granddad used to live, and it's for example, I'm going on this twenty ninth. I'm going to have to go three hundred kilometers. That's two hundred miles north into Aveiro, beautiful place by the way, um, for things. And I'm not even going to take the bike. I wanted to take the wife, but she's saying, no, that's too far away. I can't stand being on the bike for those those many hours. And I didn't, don't want to go with the car because it's too expensive. Fuel and tolls, yeah. it's like 200 bucks or more. Oh, wow. So no, no, no. Fuel alone is going to be at least $100, $100 or more. Yikes. Tolls is another 100 bucks. So no car, no way. Bike, bit less expensive. And I won't do tolls because on the bike you want to go through the back roads, not the highway, because that's yeah. insanely boring. But no, it's too much. So we're going by train, and it's 200 miles. And you guys go to a shopping mall for 300 <laughs> miles. Yeah. <laughs> well, last uh, last summer on the summer solstice, uh, I did the first smack dab run, which is 675 miles in 16 and a half hours. Yeah. So, uh, this, and I will take this opportunity to pitch anybody who is in the Midwest who wants to do this. It's from Lebanon, Kansas, to Rugby, North Dakota. You there's a monument to at the ge- geographic center of the 48 contiguous United States is uh, in Lebanon, Kansas. You meet there at dawn. 
Everybody signs in. You take off. Everybody drives 675 miles pretty much straight north on Highway 281. You end up in Rugby, North Dakota, which is up by the uh, pretty close, about 40 miles from the Canadian border. And at dusk, everybody meets at a very similar monument that marks the geographic center of North, the, the North American continent. And uh, you, it's not a, a race. It's not a group ride. Everybody rides on their own. But you, you get a little patch for doing it. I was one of the people that helped uh, uh, start that. We did it for the first time last year. So, uh, Kaja, when you come to the United States, I'll loan you a bike, and you can uh, ride in a straight line for 16 hours. <laughs> that sounds fun to you. What, what did I do? Are you punishing me for what? Yeah. <laughs> That's why no, it's good so- to have a Can-Am Spider. For a ride like yeah. that, yeah, yeah, and that that truly was we we arrived pretty fresh when we we got there because uh, out there there's a lot of crosswinds you're getting blown <laughs> around so we were we were sitting in the catbird seat. Yeah, on a 125 scooter that might be well that might be lethal. <laughs> well, I've really thought about contacting somebody like Kimco and saying, okay, give me one of your you know 300 <laughs> or 400 cc scooters for for next year. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we actually have something like that here. It's on the it's 18th edition. We call it um, the Portugal Backpack. That's the best translation I can I can I can get. And so basically, it is this year, and this is the first year I'm going to do it. it it'll cost me like 250 bucks the uh, entry fee, and then plus hotels. And what is it? It is basically getting to know Portugal, but in no way, shape, or form will you use highways or even um, anything that's a freeway. No, big no-no. Only local roads. And so oh, today, we're going camp. this right. year, we're going to start from Albufeira, which is on Algarve, south, on the beachy part, beachy touristy part of Portugal. And then we're going to go all the way to the north of Portugal, and we'll do 1,000 kilometers in two days. First day is 700 kilometers. Second day is 300 kilometers, which includes a, a, a big, a quick up and down the biggest hill in Portugal, Serra da Estrela. We go up, we come down, we keep on going up. So it'll be a thousand kilometers. That's just the ride. For me, I'm going to go 300 kilometers south to Albufeira on day one, sleep. Then I'll do the proper ride, day one of the ride, day two for me, which will be 700 kilometers back north. And then day three will be 300 kilometers and then another 400 back home. So that'll be 2,000 kilometers and that's... 2,000 kilometers, like 1,600 miles in uh, two, three days. <laughs> yeah, sign me up that, for that. I would love to do that. Yeah. We'll, we'll, do you know how many bikes are going to come this year? They, how many? They set, a, they set a hard limit on the amount of bikes, uh, so it would be somewhat manageable. It's 1,400. Wow. wow. Does that yeah. fill up quickly? I mean, do people sign up and it, like, there's a certain number of spots um, are there people that that aren't able to do it because there's not enough seats? Is that a really popular event? Yeah, on the first week, one one thousand uh, signups, and wow. then it kind of tapered off because everyone wanted to go in. Now that they haven't reached quite reached the fourteen hundred, they're expanding a bit, and I think the total will be like sixteen hundreds. Then there are wow. people who will, who will give up at right on the spot, but. Usually, and this is a big caravan, they start off, it's, they go by teams, and every team goes every 30 seconds. And if you're going alone, they'll get someone else who's going alone. And Okay, you're going to go as a team. They give you a road book, so you can yeah. follow the navigation with stops for food and coffee and 
take a picture here and take a look at this and you're going to pass this. It's like a touristy travel, so it's not actually a race. Some yeah. people treat it as a race. You have to go at a certain speed. You have to reach checkpoints at certain times to make sure you're not going either too fast or too slow. Yeah, like a time um, rally. Yeah, it's like a kind of a time rally, yeah. Um, but basically what they say is that for the towns that are in between and they warn the towns, for the towns, little towns like 10, 20 people, 100 people, 200 people, for them it's like a party because bikes start going past at like 9 a.m. and they will only stop going past at like 9 p.m. That's 12 <laughs> hours straight of bikes going past, 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 past. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine 1,400 bikes going past one town. Well, yeah. we're not yeah. going nose to nose. We're going like in 30 seconds intervals. In 30 in, seconds. In the- in the U.S., if, if 1,400 bikes went through uh, through a town, you, the, the National Guard might be called out because I think there's a... <laughs> yeah, you know, I was going to say that would be called... It's the wild Sturgis. ones all over again. Yeah, right, good point. We're a, bit, Sturgis, we're a bit right. better behaved than the rides I can I see in in the U.S. Kids in the U.S. with the, the big the bikes are just... I, I <laughs> We just look at them and go like, are these guys just nuts? Why? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we look at them that way, too. They're a different bunch. <laughs> Yeah, we just ride. And on group rides, like um, in tandem and offset, I'm behind one guy, but I'm not really behind him. I'm offset to the right side, to the right. Yeah. The guy behind me is behind me, but offset to the left. So mm-hmm. if we break, we're all okay. And this is, a, this is a different caravan or not one caravan or small groups of bikes. So it's like four bikes go past and then 30 seconds later, two more come. And then 30 seconds later, eight and then, so it'll be a big... I'll, I'm going to do a lot of videos on that one. I'll be editing that until 2022 or something. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking I'll be of looking which, forward how, to that. How is the new editing software going for you? Uh, it's okay. I'm getting the hang of it. It's a lot faster and smoother. There's a lot of stuff that is way easier to do. So I, I actually should have done this um, more early or earlier. Uh, I'm still very used to Vegas, so but uh, it's a learning process. But what I prefer. What software are you I, using? I was using Sony Vegas, but I, I'm trying to get to the hang of uh, Adobe Premiere Pro CS6. Yeah. And I prefer Premiere Pro. It's it's the same thing. They do they do the exact same things. True. But Premiere seems to be a bit easier. The interface is super clunky. There's tabs and buttons everywhere, but once you know where they are. Everything just goes really smoothly. It's really quick and easy to do complicated things. It decomplicates the complicated things. Yeah. But it really complicates the easy stuff. Have you ever used... Uh, That's Adobe for you. Yeah. Have you ever used Final Cut? Uh, Final no, Cut? not yet. Yeah, that one's really... It's a great program, but it's going to be on a Mac. Uh, oh, but it's really mind. intuitive. <laughs> yeah, that, that does change everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just screwed up everything. Yeah, yeah and I, I really wanted Premiere for the integration with After Effects because yeah. I know you can do yeah. really cool stuff with After Effects, and I know I can take the project from Premiere, edit it in After Effects without having to render, add the effects, and then render it again and lose quality. No, I really like the yeah. not having to render, adds the effects, and then render it all at once. That's the the main thing where I wanted to change. I wanted to do more quality, and for that I need After Effects, and for that I need to change to Adobe. Yeah. One, one of my friends, he's a hardcore Mac guy, um, more so than I am, and uh, but he uses uh, Premiere, 
and um, and After Effects and stuff like that, and which was a bit of a bummer because he doesn't really know Final Cut because I do stuff on Final Cut and I need help on stuff, and he only knows yeah. Premiere, even though we're both on Macs. It's like yeah. never two never two shall the two meet, or never between shall the tell shall the two meet, or whatever. Um, <laughs> never the twain yeah, shall so meet. Thank you, thank you. I knew it was <laughs> something it along those lines. <laughs> well, uh, so Kate. Uh, sorry, Cage. Of the last, uh, say, in the last year or so, of of all the bikes that you've ridden, what are what have been the most? I'm not going to ask you what the best were because that's all subjective. But for you, what were the most fun bikes you've done in Thank the last? That, I was about to, say, to ask that months. exact question. Hmm. Okay. Honestly, there is one bike that every time I think back on that test drive, it brings a smile to my face, and that has to be the MTO9. That was just insanely fun. Okay. I, I, I smile every time, especially because I had not never ridden such a powerful bike, and it just blew my mind. But now, after riding a few more powerful bikes, fun, fun, you'll be surprised. The RC390 is probably the most fun I've had on a bike for a long, long time. Because it's, it's a lot of fun being able to just roll through the revs, shift when the light comes up, and not having to worry about going 300 kph. I'm going up a hill, going first first gear all the way to the rev limiter second gear all the way to the rev limiter all the way up to fourth having a lot of fun and i look down i'm doing 120 kph i'm doing 70 miles per hour and i'm doing the bends those tight bends we have that you guys don't have <laughs> and i'm doing them at a ridiculous completely ridiculous pace chucking the bike left right left right left right and it's just so easy and, and awesome to do so that's that was just an awesome, awesome ride. So it's it's the uh, Mazda MX-5 of the uh, two-wheeled world? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Exactly that. And I've only ridden the Mazda MX-5 on iRacing, but I know how cool that is to, to drive. That's, I, I would say I, I haven't, I've got the new one coming to, to test in, in about a month and a half, but the old one, um, the, the Gen 3, I, I, every time I got in it, I, I just... It was. It really wasn't even warm where I could really. It was really comfortable to put the top down, but you still put the top down and went for a drive, and you, you always came away with a smile on your face. And that's in the roads around here. So let alone if you had good yeah. rides. Good yeah. roads. Be- better yet, no. The RC three ninety is actually the smart roadster of the bike world. Yeah. You know the smart roadster? Ever driven yeah. one? I I've have never one. seen it. We don't. We, we, we don't never, have them we here. Got them in the United States. Yeah. It's a six hundred cc engine. You guys would probably look at that. What? My exhaust pipe is bigger than that in that engine. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's a small motorcycle here, let alone a car. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, a very, very fun car. It's it's like a big go-kart. The wheels are in the corners. It's really well balanced. It was the first car I had in my life that I just wanted to go. Okay, I'm just going for for drive. Where? I don't know. I'm just going to drive anywhere. It's just fun to drive. I really liked, generally love to to drive that car. Going up that test track on that car was just mind-blowingly uh, awesome. Just perfect. You turn a corner, you you hit the the accelerator. Okay, nothing much happens. <laughs> it wasn't really powerful, but the car liked to rotate into the turn safely. You knew it was just awesome. And the MX-5 is that big, bit yeah. bigger. The MX-5 is probably the closest thing that we have to. The smart roadster, I would say. Yeah. Maybe but a Fiat. It, that is a proper, proper sports car. That's how yeah. a sports car, a sporty car should feel. So just because I'm, you've, I, I, 
I'm not really in the market to buy it, but it's one of the few bikes I find inter- new bikes I've found interesting lately. Uh, what was your take? What was your full take on the uh, Africa Twin? And 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 did you get to did did you get to sample the DCT version? I guess I should say as well. I couldn't get the DCT version, unfortunately. Uh, but the Africa Twin, and many people are buying it wrongly. That is a, a proper proper off-road machine that actually behaves pretty well on asphalt. It's like the opposite of the Honda Cross Tourer. The Cross Tourer is an asphalt machine. It's a tourer for, for roads that can do some off-roads. The Africa Twin, it's its opposite. It can do roads easily. It'll take you across the U.S. But then if you have to go over a hill off-road, it'll do that easily. It's like a big enduro bike. You can just, it's literally go anywhere on that. I'm glad so you brought don't, that. Yeah, don't, don't. Buy one to just go commuting or go on the roads because it's, it's it's a waste. The Africa Twin is one of my most exciting motorcycles that's come out recently, and I really I like adventure bikes. And the Transalp, old Transalp, is one of my most favorite motorcycles of all time. Um, and so I was really excited about the Africa Twin, and I like your video on YouTube, Cager, of your review on it. And I was actually going to ask you if you are going to pursue any more off-road riding. Is that something that you're interested in, or do you like to stick uh, more to the on-road variety? I can't. I don't have money to buy an off-road one, but sometimes I feel like I'm riding uh, Louise, and I see an off, uh, a dirt track, and I go, ah, I really wanted to go check out that and see what's up there. Because I know we have a lot of that. I really wanted to explore that, but not on this bike. And I have taken Louise up some pretty ridiculous stuff. Yeah. Because any bike can do some sort of like paved, unpaved roads. We can all do sure. it. And I've done a few, but every time I go like, I really wish I had a proper off-road machine to just go and don't worry about having to turn around or just go. And I, I sometimes I feel like, ah, one day, I'll get that one day. Eventually yeah. that'll happen. Yeah. Well, we probably should think about wrapping this up. Uh, thank you very yeah, much for about- being with us, Cager. Uh, can we invite you back sometime again? Of course. Great, great. Awesome. Uh, yeah, hit uh, let everyone know what your uh, what your channel is and how to you know contact you or you have Instagram or anything else like that. Here's your time oh. to plug it. Oh, okay. So plugging the channel is basically go on to YouTube and chase and search for Cager on Two Wheels. Uh, they'll bring up the channel. The VP version, it is Cager on Two Wheels VP. That's the Portuguese version. Um, and then I have also Instagram, which is uh, Cager on Two Wheels on Instagram, because I'm a very managed, imaginative guy. <laughs> and then there's Facebook, which has a page which is called, you guessed it, Cager on Two Wheels. <laughs> so it's the same area. Good everywhere. branding, man. It's good branding. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that was a bit on purpose. When I when I got the name, and that was a coworker of mine that said, gave me this name. Um, this full story was that I was trying to get a name, um, and he said, "What? You're doing a, a channel about motorcycling? You're not a biker. You're a cager." <laughs> I was like, "No, I'm not a cager." We also have the expression "cager." This was in Portuguese. We call it. It's actually literally caged because people yeah. in cars are caged, so it's literally mm-hmm. cager. It's the, the same expression. I said, no, I'm not a cager. Yes, I am a cager, but I'm now on two wheels. You're <laughs> <Are> a genius. <laughs> <laughs> we have the same expression go, here. Yeah. 
And then I had to go to Chase on Two Wheels and say, listen, uh, I'm going to start the channel with this name. It's really close to yours. You're cool with that? And Chase, because he's an awesome guy, said, cool, just don't make a logo of a red helmet. Yeah. That's a big no-no. No, so, cool. <laughs> so I am forbidden to buy a red icon helmet or any icon <laughs> helmet or any red helmet. Yeah. <laughs> that would be totally uncool. But yeah, you got your Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. YouTube for videos, Facebook for interaction and stuff like I saw a crash today and the screw just fell off the bike and stuff like that. And Instagram for whatever floats my boat. For example, I just came from a night shot uh, photography uh, session. I'm going through the pictures now. Excellent. And I'm going to put them on Instagram eventually. So it's uh, the middle of the night there. Yeah, uh, 11 p.m. Okay. Well, I'll be going to bed like two hours. And then two sleep hours. For five. <laughs> yeah. Sleep for five, drink four coffees up to 10 a.m., and then I'll be ready to work. <laughs> the life of Cager. <laughs> yeah. Well, Eric, Garrett, thank you guys. Yeah. And by the way, uh, Garrett called himself honorary third wheel the first week out. He's now our permanent <laughs> third wheel. He's been welded on as our sidecar. So that's so yeah, that's quite. He'll be the joining step us up. every week. And so you got for the third wheel the guy that rides a bike with three wheels, right? Yeah. No, actually that's me. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> Pete's, Pete's the wheel that drives us. How's that? Yeah. Okay, that that that'll work. I'm the one who has to edit this. Although I don't think there's a lot of editing in this week. This is the first week I think I may just uh, do a little compression on the on the levels and dump it out there because this has been good. I agree. And Cager, you are welcome back whenever you would like to join us. Okay, thanks. I really enjoyed this and I really enjoyed the uh, the invitation. Whenever you want someone, just ring me. Okay. Great. Appreciate okay. it. Thanks, Cager. Thanks. See you all in a week. Thanks a lot.